0: Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition, and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member supported food radio network, broadcasting over thirty five weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
0: Hello, this is your host, Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly. Today, my guest is a woman who has revealed herself through one very, very special product. Yogurt. It is incredibly delicious. It's slowly strained. It's served in a sexy, bulbous little jar. And she also makes popsicles and other products from whey, which is the byproduct of making yogurt. This yogurt is the story of her Iranian roots, her quest to deepen her relationship with her family, her determination to overcome a burdensome burdensome legal system, a desire to reduce food waste, and so much more. She's been so incredibly successful that just this past Friday, she launched in Los Angeles at Italy. My guest today is the one and only Homa Dashtaki, who is the co founder of White Mustache Yogurt. If you are lucky enough to have White Mustache near you, you know it from that jar that I described, but also the incredibly cute graphic of a bushy white mustache on top. Welcome, Homa.
2: Hi, Dana. Thanks
0: so much for having me. <laughs> Well, I've been a fan for so long—an early uh, fan, I'm a very early fan. I used to, you know, choose my markets by whether they had your yogurt or they didn't. And um, I, as you'll recall, I, I wanted to serve your yogurt in um, at a at a restaurant that I was working with. So I got to call you and say, "Hey, can I can I get some yogurt?" Well, let me think about that because I'd have to take some away from someone else. And we worked it out, right, <laughs> right. But um, Sometimes I wonder if the hardship that went into this yogurt is part of what makes it so special every day, and that hardship is deep. It's not superficial. It's not like, oh, I worked really hard. I was working twenty four seven. But it's a cultural hardship, and um, and you know your your family's challenge when your uncle died. And I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about the birth of um, white mustache and, and what you think struggle contributed to making it the extraordinary product that it is.
2: Yeah, um, I think it, I would actually reverse that. I think it was an exceptional product, even as a surprise to me, and it was the reaction by people when they tried it and acknowledging that like it was something they wanted that then made the struggle and the hardship worth enduring because um, i think a lot of business owners and a lot of people do struggle like mm-hmm. it's just part of the game mm-hmm. and it's part of like what you have to do to get your product out there but i think what made it worth it was like the initial nugget of like i mean i took yogurt for granted my whole life i mm-hmm. did not think it was special mm-hmm. and it was just something that we chose to do um out of adversity, like it was born out of adversity, but it was always there. Uh-huh. Um, and then once I started to, I mean, it was just like we could have picked bread, we could have picked. i was curious you know, about that. I mean, why why something.
0: yogurt? Not, I mean, you could have done like a walnut pomegranate dip, right? Or you could have done all kinds of things, right? But why something did yogurt Wager- less perishable? <laughs> perhaps <laughs> something that would have, you know, fewer dairy inspectors on your tail, right? Uh, but well, why do you think it was yogurt and not all those other things?
2: I I think it was like a combination of things. One was just sheer economics. It was just like two ingredients, milk and yogurt, like make yogurt. Yes. And it was... Um, Wait, two ingredients, right. milk and yogurt. And yogurt. And like have the cultures, the like cultures. the starter cultures. Yeah. And it's like then you get what... And I thought, oh, this would be easy. And, like, <laughs> and I, I wanted something that took a lot of time because the part of the, the initial motivation to do it was to spend time with my dad. And it was like, well, we can spend eight hours making yogurt and then putting it in jars and then just going to farmer's markets and selling it. Um, and it was... I love, most people actually try to find ways to spend less time with their family. Right. So the idea that you <laughs> right. took, you
0: know, it's like, hey, let's do something we can put in a Cuisinart, blend it. We'd be done, but right. we spend two good hours together. <laughs> but you didn't go that direction. No. No.
2: No. I mean, I've always been really close to my dad, but as I was getting older, it had also gotten to the point, like... We're talking about really boring things, like what are you doing with your life? You should invest your money. Like, are you taking care of yourself? And, like, that was going both ways. Um, Those and it was, don't sound
0: boring to me, actually. Right,
2: but, but like, it was just like real life talk that kind kind of get like heavy. Uh-huh. Um, and like, I wanted to just do something that felt a little frivolous, actually, and a little light. And that was, and you know, my dad and I have always been really close, um, and. It was, it was nice to talk about something different and to like, you know, engage in something different. And, and so many stories came out of that about yeah. like his childhood and like, you know, like I didn't know that um, like he had run a restaurant in Tehran for a while and mm-hmm. he was telling me about like the time of prohibition and like when they started like, like they were known for their sandwiches but they only started selling sandwiches cause like they were selling a lot of beer. So that was also <laughs> like an act and like all these stories that I ended up finding out, um, from my, from my dad and his past. And I found out like my mom's father had like had run a Buffalo milk farm for a while. And it was like, well, why didn't you all tell us these things before? And it just never comes up in like, I guess day to day life. Um, it
0: is amazing to sort of create the the stage for the stories to um, unravel, and they don't like if you're you know catching up on a quick phone call right. or you're having dinner. Right. You just you need to get the top three things, right? You know, as like are you in love? Right. You know, right. Do you have a place to live. Right. What are you doing for work? Right. You know.
2: Right. <laughs> <Just> exactly. <laughs> and then it's like, what? Who are you in love with? Right. And then that just like goes in like, where are you living? And then like, have you thought about different employment? <laughs> or like, it just like it's you know. Um, it's nice to do something frivolous and like um, with people you're so close with and have known for so long, you just get to know them in a different dimension. But in many ways, the yogurt's not frivolous at all, right
0: And the way that you make the yogurt is quite intense and serious. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about you know the the bigger philosophy behind what you're making and how you make it?
2: Right. Yeah, that might be a part of me getting in there, too, because I'm very intense and serious. And I um, have taken this process uh, is actually quite simple. It just takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And I have been really strict about, like, sticking to the integrity of that process. So... um, from the moment like the milk is made, like you heat up the milk and like that very initial act of heating up the milk and warming it up sets the stage for the entire incubation process. Like after I heat up the milk, I need zero machinery and zero like equipment really. The most complicated thing that goes into it after heating up the milk is just gravity. Um, Wow. And it's like the thermal heat of milk is a very powerful tool to use and manipulate. And then you add cultures to it at the right time, you get the right consistency, and there's just so much waiting. And it is so tempting to kind of cut corners or to make it faster or to like have it coincide with like a normal life schedule. But it just like, (laughs) that's not not the product. Like the product dictates the whole, the terms of our entire business. And um, I think that's part of what makes it special. Um. I know that
0: your your mother made the initial um, straining cloth, which mm-hmm. I just thought was such a beautiful image. Mm-hmm. You know, the the work and love you put into something, put being put through something that your mother yeah. um, created for you. Yeah. How does one make a straining cloth? I, that. Alone, I thought, was an interesting
2: concept. Um, so it's a particular kind of fabric that we get from India, but she cuts it to size and she stitches it, so it's like just the right size for the the pan we need, and she like makes sure it's the right gauge and all of that. So she, and she's the unsung hero of all this, right? Like it's me and my dad, and we're like out there, and it's his big old mustache being exploited on all our jars, <laughs> and he's just like. You know he's there with me and like making decisions and coming up with new flavors and stuff but it's my it's really my mom that's the glue and the one who like you know really hold us together when there's the adversity and who takes care of these things that we take for granted like the cloths so
0: and so what how, how does she help pull you together is she a good moderator like what is it like to work closely with your family and your sister's now in the business as well. Mm-hmm. So she's here in
2: New York as yes. you launching L.A. Yeah, so she launched the Popsicles. Um, well, both my mom and my sister kind of take the mediator role. And, and my dad and I are more, like, emotional and feisty and, like, quick to decide things. And I think just, like, just their demeanor of being, like, calmer and more, like, um conscientious about like decisions to make and being able to handle our personalities kind of then tempers us and like we're just like together we're this organism that works and and can communicate with each other like with employees it's it's different like with family you you there's more forgiveness, frankly. And it's like you can say something and you can hurt someone's feelings and then the next day you can address it. And it was, I think that I was able to grow more having worked with my family and for them to check me because mm-hmm. employees don't check you the way right. family does. So.
0: Right a little yep. bit more, particularly since you're very strong, more in a yes chef mode. Right. In which case you could, you know, there might be – things that you miss from people wanting to make you happy mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and of course your family wants to make you happy too but right. they also knew and you, you were three years old exactly. and you, you know right
2: and they know like that sometimes i'll want to do too much too fast so like when the opportunity in la came up um like i get to be cautious and consult them and i get to consult them in the most well-rounded possible way right like it's like does this make business sense mm-hmm. like here's why i think it does and here's like the team I'll be working with out there and here's who's supporting me over at Italy. Like, how do you guys feel about that? And they were totally on board with that. And like their main concern is like a personal one. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to happen? Like, is this a distraction? Are you going to have a life? Like I got married year and a half ago or a year ago, actually. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. And you know, there's like, they're, they're just like aware of all this stuff where it's like a very well-rounded, you know,
0: so are they are they trying to to protect your um, sort of overachieving nature?
2: Yeah, and 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 you know protect the longevity of like this endeavor. You know, like I'm not growing this thing to sell it. I'm trying to maintain and like that's the long game. So like, am I gonna make it through the long game at this pace? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know.
0: <laughs> what you've chosen to do is so unusual in this time, uh, because you focus on a single product, and you have, you know, people say the constraints are often um, a great way to expand and be creative, but you have really stuck so true to what this one product, and the idea that you're not doing it to sell, right, you're not looking for, you know, money right and left, you, bootstrapping it would be an almost insult to how (laughs) you (laughs) built it from scratch. But how do you think about having a single product and being really devoted to it and to the long game?
2: Um, I feel like that is actually a very ambitious choice because I have this one product and I can focus on this one product and kind of make it the best and think about the industry and then focus on something like the byproduct, which is whey. And if I was thinking about, and, and you know, in a way, like I, I have all these diverse things like the drinks and the popsicles and um, I, I think focusing on one product helps me keep the integrity of that product to, to think about how I want to see the business grow in like five, 10 years, how to maintain maybe my position uh-huh. if I choose not to grow. Um, and and do, you, do you feel like that's a choice? To not grow. Like, would you be open to that? I feel like it's been a choice. Like in 2014, we capped our own Mm -hmm. production Mm -hmm. because I was not going to make more volume before we sold or created a market for all the way. And so that was a choice not to grow. Mm -hmm. I also think that that was my biggest liability since 2014. Um, like you said, like you had called me and you had asked for yogurt, yeah, right? And I like I've just been faking it. like I just create more delivery days to buy myself more time mm-hmm. to give people less yogurt so I can give them more like two days later and then two more days later. And so you know, I I don't know if this is a grower parish kind of economy that's out there. Um, but I've just been really lucky to work with stores like, you know, Murray's and Italy and even Whole Foods who've really understood my process and respected my slow, cautious approach to how big I want to be. Um, and that's kind of all I can, you know, all I can do at the moment.
0: Let's talk about way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is really so pun-worthy.
2: So good with the puns, well, yeah. So,
0: like you have, I mean, talk about being the right moment for something It's really the moment for no way puns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. or go yes away puns. puns. Yeah. Or guess <laughs> away puns. <laughs> yeah. But um, so, as you explained, you know, you strain the yogurt through this very special mm-hmm. cloth, and the result is two things it's this beautiful yogurt, and then there's the Way. Yeah. And you committed to not growing until you could do something with the way. Yeah. What kind of um, attempts have you made to educate people? Because that's really what it requires, right? Yeah. In, um, in terms of um,
2: how to use it and. Yeah. So I think that we've been really spoiled with the yogurt and its success because I didn't have to explain anything. Uh-huh. And I didn't have to explain what strained yogurt was mm-hmm. or like. Um, like why the yogurt was so thick and then like we had you're lucky the Greeks came before you yeah right <laughs> well <laughs> and like Giovanni and Fayette and like they really yeah. did like I didn't have to do any of that but with the way um, I, I think that's been our biggest failure and struggle is to to educate people because I don't know how to talk about it because I've been around it forever so to me it's not a new thing I'm uh-huh. just like this is way. What don't you get about it? <laughs> <laughs> um, like you can, and then, and then we've just been like so excited about it because we will give it to chefs and they will like brine with it and make cocktails with it and um, ceviche with it and make breads with it. And, and then it's like you become schizophrenic at all the like different uses you can use, and it's like confusing to people to like here's this ingredient that's like to me it's like the mat you know the elixir that's like this golden nugget that you get at the end of my process. Yeah, but I don't know how to convey it, you know. And I think you know if anything, I'd probably need the most help educating people because. Um, I'm just, a, like, I literally feel like I'm just a maker. Mm-hmm. And I've been put in this position where I have to to educate and teach. And to me, like, the only way I can do it is, like, here, taste it. And uh-huh. that, that's not enough. Like, you have to tell them the process mm-hmm. and what it can do and what's in it. Mm-hmm. And, like, not only am I learning so much about it, um, but also learning how to convey all that information. So
0: I've noticed that you, you do a lot of, you'll sell the yogurt and you can get away with it depending on the market and the mm-hmm. situation. So I'm sure that varies tremendously. But um, once people taste to get converts, like is there
2: I think that I've learned over the last um, three years of, of really trying to push the way that the person who loves my yogurt mm-hmm. is not the same person who loves my way. Um, and God. the person who loves a decadent, creamy, indulgent snack is not the health conscious person who wants a light, refreshing, hydrating drink, um, the way does really well with, um, like the the, uh, the like the fitness community. Mm-hmm. It does really well with um, like the prenatal pregnant community. Uh-huh. It does well in like medical situations where people are taking like uh, pills. They need to take probiotics with, or just need to hydrate, or have appetite issues. Um, and like, it does well with like, you know, college students who are hungover. (laughs) So I'm just like, okay, like I'm learning these things and then trying to also not make too many claims about it. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I'm not a scientist. I don't know how dairy works with everyone's constitution. Um, I know what it does for me and people have testimonials for what it does for them. But I feel a little weird being like, oh, like, this contains like all the probiotics you need. Like it might contain too much for you, yeah. but not not <laughs> enough for the other person. Um, and, and particularly so. as we
0: emerge into uh, this personalized medicine, personalized right. nutrition. Right. I mean, that seems very wise to right. not overclaim. Right. And you're a small producer, so you're right. not right in a position to everything's not exactly the same in every bottle. Exactly. I'm
2: sure. Exactly. Uh,
0: those con- the making conditions change. But that's a very interesting thing to discover because I don't know what you're... The, the process for marketing white mustache was initially uh, farmer's markets and then these small stores. Mm-hmm. So p- I feel like people really did your outreach for you. like So spoiled. Every spoon that went into that yogurt was somebody who, when the next th- time they could speak, they would talk about it, mm-hmm. where you probably don't have the exact same... Thing with the way it's so, right and the audience so you can't really even capitalize on the huge right incredible fan base that you have right
2: right and I think that there was this moment in time where like Instagram and Facebook and now Snapchat are ways that people communicate these things and like the yogurt captured that moment in time where people wanted to talk about it and it was such a relatable thing like now if somebody drinks the way and likes it they too are tasked with having to explain what
3: it is that they just <laughs> drank you
2: know um
0: i think it'll get easier though right. and as it as you say you're in the for the long game because of the um the really fervent interest that everybody has about health and there, the people who are eating the yogurt yes you know that is more of an indulgence like um on your tongue like mouth the whole thing and it feels the experience is very sensual but you're also eating it because you want to eat something that's clean and you know the ingredients are right delicious you know good they came from a good place a lot of care was put into it so the intersection of those two worlds is caring about your body and caring about what goes in it and so i there you know there is a big intersection there maybe not there will and it'll grow even more. Um, okay, I uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more to Humadash Taki, who makes really the world's most sensuous yogurt. Be right back in a few.
3: Bob Moore is the founder of Bob's Red Mill, the top quality supplier of grains, flours, and general nutritional goodness from Oregon. He's talking to us about their signature millstones, a very specific way of making whole grain flour. So what's the secret, Bob? Follow me to the mill room. Well, these are just like the millstones that the Romans used to grind their grains. In fact, these stones came from the same quarry near Paris, France, where the Romans got their stones. The company that makes our millstones pulls their quartz from the same quarry and they make mills for us that are just wonderful. Bob explains how the millstones grind much slower and at cooler temperatures than modern steel rollers. The process keeps the grains cool, preserving the flavor and nutrition. Look at what they produce. I love how they keep things simple and just right. All the nutrition is there, just like nature intended. After almost 40 years in the milling business, they're serving up over 400 organic, gluten-free and whole grain foods right here from the mill in Oregon, sending them off to destinations around the world. We think we can make a difference by sticking to the traditional way of stone milling. And so, that's what we're doing. To learn more about Bob's Red Mill and their mission to bring good food for all, visit bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
0: This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly. On this episode, my extraordinary guest is Homa Taki from White Mustache. You probably know her from The Yogurt, but I want you to go out and find the way. Not just like you should find your way home. <laughs> we're having a punning contest here. But um, but check out The way, And I, I want to see whether the yogurt lovers can be converted into way lovers. And, um, you know... Post post on Instagram and tag Homa tag me. We want to know what you think. Right. What what would you do with your way? I mean, it makes great drink. It makes great boozy boozy popsicle. There's so much that uh, that you can do with it, and it's a byproduct which takes us to a conversation about waste and food waste right now, which is a topic that I know you're quite passionate about. Um, when you observe other processes like do you when you're in the real world do you just see waste everywhere and want to solve that problem like how did you come to this belief that you really would not make more yogurt till you
2: uh, um well I think if you've like when we're when you make yogurt and you use milk that you really believe in and Mm -hmm. then you're throwing away a certain person like you feel it that you just feel it um and I have gone places and I do see waste and I have zero judgment about it because I didn't, I didn't see it until I started making it. And I feel that like, because white mustache had such a slow struggle to start, um, that we kind of got forced into this thing. Like I see white mustache's entire existence as an advocacy effort, an advocacy effort for small foods and small economies not even in food like if you want to make clothes make clothes for your community if you (laughs) want to make shoes make shoes for your community and it's like we have this micro economy where no one is too big to fail and everyone's Mm -hmm. supporting each other and I really really believe in that based on my own struggle to get into the market back in California and so now that I'm in the market and I, I I kind of see our waste and I see our um Maybe our blind spots are opportunities. So this waste for the way was an opportunity to make popsicles and to make drinks and to make friends with mm-hmm. bartenders <laughs> and chefs. So this it did expand your world. Yeah. Although I suppose
0: you could make great yogurt drinks too. But
2: right and like we had you know, a lot of problems along the way that were opportunities to meet other makers and to meet other people in the industry. And like our limited capacity is also just an opportunity then to um, advocate for other things like climate change and food waste. And so I wasn't this person before White Mustache. Like I would eat half an apple and throw half of it away. I didn't, like, it wasn't part of my consciousness. And I think that, like, as trendy as it is sometimes to talk about food waste and um, slow food movement, like, it's still food. And we have a lot to learn. And it's just, like, we're all getting there. Like, we're all getting there together. Um, And it's not something that, you know... I'm influenced by my surroundings now because my surroundings are other food people. Mm -hmm. And I see them also, Mm -hmm. like using their waste, and it's, you know, before it was cheaper to throw away your waste, and that's why companies like Chobani or Fayette or other big yogurt makers would do it, and I don't judge them for it either. Like, it was just like that was the world and the economy and the motivations and the values that, you know, as a society, we allowed.
0: Um, I'm interested in your relationship to other makers because, in fact, after... um, you could tell the story obviously better, but you had launched in LA and then were shut down after three months because of a health code questioning, not that you did anything wrong. Um, and you ended up coming to New York and became a part of a group of people who are working together. So yeah. um, how, how did that influence your journey, you know, being surrounded by at least three other makers in a place
2: Um, I think it's very motivating to see other people do their craft and it's so, it's such a relief to just have somebody right there to be like, this wasn't delivered, how do I deal with it? I need to get this done, any ideas? And then for somebody else to come to you with a problem that's not your own. (laughs) And just to, to be able to think outside of the box and to help and to be helped. Um, and it was interesting cause my community back in California was the Iranian Zoroastrian one. Mm-hmm. And then my community out here were new and everyone was new. And it was my first, the like I was allowed to come here and work. And it was because of Betsy Devine over at Salvatore Brooklyn. And she welcomed me into her, clean room and she was like instrumental and she had such a different mindset. Like I was coming from a place where I had been embroiled in like legal battle for two years and I was so scared and I had like PTSD for being shut down and her approach was so refreshing. She was like, just make it (laughs) and it was like just do your art. And like she was just doing her art and Nikisha was just doing her art and Tin of Tin Mustard was just doing his art. And it was, like – and it was Brooklyn. Like, you know, I say this all the time, but, like, Brooklyn is this cliche of, like, a handmade artisanal food place. But, like, I exist because of that cliche. Like, I came in here and I was not weird. I was not, like, oh, why do you want to – like, why do you want to do that by hand? It was just – it made a ton of sense. And I think having that community was, was vital. And it, you know and, – and now as I grow – I like to see other companies that are bigger, like beer companies, who are like using their waste. Or Six Points, who's our neighbor, who wants to try to ferment with our our way and try to make a beer. So,
0: there's something about uh, what you're saying about finding a
2: community for yourself.
0: You had two separate ones, and I'd like to talk about the Iranian one mm-hmm. um, in, LA in a second. But um, every single person uh, who is in like the world of work particularly if they're creating something uh, it's, it seems like it's extremely important to find those people who can support you answer those questions so that you don't feel alone right. i feel like that the founder's journey or the maker's journey is so lonely it is. and it really yeah. doesn't it doesn't have to be you just have to find the right people you know cuz you it can't be competitive you need to find people who are supportive and who have who are really smart right
2: know? right and I mean, I think that I, I can't speak for other makers, but like for me as a maker, it's hard to do that. It's hard to make that connection and to reach out. And like my husband has always like encouraged me. He's like, well, try to make friends with someone outside the industry if you feel like it's too close or if it's too stressful to like reach out. But I will say that people who are closest to me are other food makers. Um, and it's in times of crisis that it happens. Like I had a small contamination issue in my, a large contamination issue in my factory last year after we finished construction. And like, I reached out to Anita from Anita's Yogurt who makes a vegan coconut yogurt. And it was like through this crisis that we bonded. And I reach out to her all the time now about anything. And it does, it takes like that, some, it takes that like heaviness off. And like, there's someone else out there and she's going through the same things that I am and it's not so lonely. Um,
0: I think it's important for everybody to go you know, find that, whoever that is and wherever right. they are inside your industry or out, it's important to, to find them. When you were in California, um, tell me about the Iranian community that you know, supported you at the beginning.
2: Yeah, so it was the community that I grew up with and I have uncles and aunts out there as well. And because we started this in like a very light, frivolous manner to hang out with, like my zoroastrian community in orange county became my my labor pool as well <laughs> so my uncle was like toasting and chopping nuts they were making the preserves for me and everyone had like 40 different opinions about how it was done back in the mother country uh-huh. and it was but it was you know do you have recollections of cuz you came when you were eight i came when i was 8 and then we would go back often okay. um growing up and um, in recent memory, right before starting mus- White Mustache in, in 2010, I went back for four months and I went back for the pomegranate harvest, which was a really wonderful time. And I, you know, like before White Mustache, I don't think I would have ever included myself into like a foodie camp. Like I, I just really... I think I just really love manual labor. <laughs> <And> like <laughs> I love picking pomegranates all day long and then juicing them and then staying up all night and like condensing it down into a paste over a wood fire. And there was something about that harvest and that moving of time and all those Zoroastrian celebrations that celebrate marking time through the solstice and the equinox. Um, and that the, has really are those informed...
0: Ce- are those celebrations around food as well? I mean, I know yes. they're around moon and other things but yes yes and so what are the what are the foods of that uh religion
2: yeah so um and like yeah i would say it's more like it's i don't know if it's just the religion or the persian culture Uh um because i think it's like in iran a lot of people do this who aren't just zoroastrian but the two biggest food holidays in my mind and I'm sure everyone is going to disagree but um, it's Yalda which is the winter solstice and then the Persian New Year which is the spring equinox and the food to have so the idea on the winter solstice is it's the longest night of the year Mm -hmm. so you stay up all night to ward off like evil spirits and you drink and you recite poetry and you eat and the things you eat it's kind of almost like it was like therapy, like it's dark, you're going to be depressed, like we're going to like keep things light. And so there's the drinking, the poetry, and then you have watermelon, like you try to save a watermelon from the summertime. In in Iran, we would keep the pomegranates, like pomegranate season is around October. Mm-hmm. And so you keep the ones that have like the intact skin stored in your basement or in a cool place. And then you bring them out on the winter solstice. There is a noodle stew that you have. It's with like fried mint and some fried onions on top. And this dried yogurt called Kashk that you drizzle mm-hmm. on top. Um, and then on the Persian new year, which is the spring equinox, it's rice with dill and other herbs and oh, a white fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're supposed to have, like, in our house, you would ha- try to have that in your belly by the time, like, the, n- the new year rang. But the spring equinox falls at different times of the day during the whole time. Oh so goodness. sometimes it's, like, 3 in the morning. And <laughs> other times it's, like, 7 a.m.
0: So um, That's why it's not exactly like uh, yeah. the, our system of, you know, it's it's midnight, right, December 31st. Right. The ball drops. Right. Yeah, we're not so, Probably not. Yeah, we're not so practical. <laughs> so. Yeah. And was it uh, hard to leave that community behind to come to New York to try to do this on your own?
2: It was hard because that was the whole point, you know? (laughs) Like, I was just like, what? Like, now I'm going to leave my family who I just, like, wanted to spend more time with because, like, it's basically a spark. Like, this thing happened and it sparked this this whole fire, you know? And there was no... Leaving it, there was no quitting it. And to take it back to, like, your initial question, like, it made the struggle totally worth it.
0: Now, you were a lawyer mm-hmm. um, before all this. Right. Does your... Is there a lot in common between a lawyer and what you're doing today? Like, when you think, what, are the, what do I... How do these things relate to each other? Do you see a connection? Or, I mean, law is a good background for everything, as every parent tells their child. Right. But, um, you know, is it your tenacity or um, what was it about being a lawyer that satisfied some part of you or didn't it? Because I think you said, like, you know, you could have kept being a lawyer, but you got um, fired in a 2008 downturn.
2: Right. I mean, I I think the two things that served me well about being a lawyer – about being a lawyer now is, like, I have, I have endurance, huh. <laughs> um, and I'm very, like, I am very disciplined in type A, so I think those two things help, but I know a lot of makers who are like that without huh. a legal training, having worked <laughs> at a law firm for hours and hours, so in fact, I feel like my legal training is a little bit of a detriment um, and I don't do well in like representing myself in leases or contracts because like right now too I'm like so grateful I'm like yeah it's all fine it's great <laughs> No worries. Um, so I think like you know when I think back about like how Betsy approached her business like just make your art like mm-hmm. I never thought of it like that and so right. that was so refreshing yeah um, and like really opened my eyes to it Um, but I could have been a lawyer because like as an immigrant kid, that was your idea of a success. Mm -hmm. You know, I checked off all the boxes. I went to UCLA, I went to Cornell, I got a scholarship, I became an attorney. I loved wearing suits. (laughs) I loved working on deals that ended up on like, you know, in the newspaper and like all these things that like now kind of seem a little bit fake and empty, um, because I don't want to go back to it. Like I don't. I mean it was another life it seems like so but I'm grateful for that training and the opportunity and I still have a lot of friends in that community so
0: they're very well fed by now I'm sure Yeah. (laughs) so let's um, bring it up today because I'm Incredibly excited to hear more about what it is like going back to LA after having been shut down there, and you changed your life. You gave up your family. You came to New York. You made, um, you know, just a, a gigantic success. And then you are called back to LA. There's something cosmic about it. I feel, and. Tell me about Italy and White Mustache.
2: Yeah. Well, am I allowed to curse? Because I really feel like (laughs) cursing. It's just so fucking amazing. (laughs) That's so great. Um, And, like, if I was a vindictive person, Dana, I would be really, like, really satisfied about, like, the way things came out. Um, But I let that go a long time ago because I was just so angry. Like, Mm -hmm. I was so angry that I got shut down for no reason Mm -hmm. and in such a dramatic way and again like that whole thing of just let it go and make your art like mm-hmm. that's it um and that's all that was important and it was by letting go and just making yogurt like um the owners of Italy found me and Greg the main cheese buyer there called me one day and was like we want to carry your yogurt we heard about you through Anne Saxelby and I was like and Saks, you're and the best. And, like, <laughs> and then I was like in a car driving with my then boyfriend, and I was like, we have to break up because I'm going to be really busy. <laughs> no. Now we're married, so it's fine. But um,
0: you're still really busy. Yeah, we're still really
2: busy. Um, and so this opportunity came up to sell an Italy Flat Iron, and then we started selling yogurt to Italy. A World Trade Center. Yeah, so all of that was I just to start. It. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't clear. I it was just to start selling at Italy Flatiron, and I was worried I wasn't going to be able to keep up with them. And this was in 2014. Um. And then in you know they approached me and were like, "What are your growth plans?" I'm like, "I don't have any. Like, I can't believe this is even happening. I don't have growth plans." And then we started selling in Italy World Trade Center. And almost as a a side comment, it was like, "If if we built you a clean room, would you be willing to make in LA? And this is one of those things you just do not say no to. Like my family is there. I had gone on this quest to like prove that my yogurt is safe and good and valuable and of both like business and personal and community like importance. And now I get to go back and with a partner that has, like, an understanding of this, like, they never pushed me to mass produce. And, like, everything has been entirely, like, not even on my terms, but on the terms of the yogurt. Like, what can the yogurt (laughs) do? Like, you know, we're all, like, you know, subject to the restrictions of this very labor-intensive, very limited product that can, like, you know be made and so it, what I feel like I feel like I'm just like newly in love or something because for <laughs> the last two weeks I've just been in this dairy room that's been built to spec by Elizabeth um and she just like did an incredible job at
0: um B&B hospitality so yes. Elizabeth Meltzer who's all about safety
2: all about safety and like Everything is just made up to compliance. She got it, like, signed off, and I was like, what is happening? (laughs) So from the minute they got the sign off that it was, like, ready to go, I have just been in that clean room until last Friday making yogurt. And after years of being on the computer or managing relationships, and I just got to make yogurt for, like, two weeks straight. And it took me two weeks to make, like, you know, a case a of case. yogurt. Wow. And it was just, it was a dream come true. I haven't had this much fun in a long time. And they have, like, a baker who's willing to cook with the whey. And they have their pizza pasta station that's going through quarts and quarts of savory yogurt, which is incredible. We have, like, bottles of whey that, like, customers there have already been receptive to. Bartenders are going to make... Um, cocktails with it. The rotisserie is going to brine chicken with it. There's a fish station that can ceviche with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Disneyland for like, or it's the community of your dreams. It's the community of my dreams. And all of them, like, I just see all of them as having all this knowledge and contribution. And it's like, I feel so lucky and excited. Um, there's a pastry maker. They were named Katia. Who's genius. And, you know, just like in passing, she was like, we should make like an Italian ice. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes, that's brilliant. Like, I'm not gonna come up with those great ideas. Like it's people who are experts and can get inspired maybe. And it's just been so much fun. And I just, I just look forward to just, I almost feel like grassroots. Like I'm only in one store and I get to make right downstairs in like this quiet, beautiful room and just connect with california again and the produce and the milk that i'm used to and if you're ever out there and a fan of white mustache new york you can taste the difference california milk is totally different Um, and do you have a a farmer like strauss dairy or someone we're using strauss dairy Yeah. yeah and i got to meet albert strauss and he's very very proud of his milk and his process as are we like it's just so great to work with so you really, you, in a way,
0: you have a similar but completely different community to the one you had here in New York when you when you launched. You know, you, you get advice, not that the people you are working with then could use your products in the way, but right. this is in the way. Right. But um, <laughs> but this is the evolution. It's it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. So when you're uh, you know, there for two weeks and you're making your yogurt and you're in mm-hmm. this zen perfect state. Who is it that you want to have in that room with you to have that conversation on, you know, unfurl the way it began with your dad?
2: Um, so funny, Dana, that you would ask that. Of course you would ask that. Um, it's such a perfect question because, I mean, this whole thing was with my family to start. And then I did it here in New York, kind of on my own. Um, and then going back to California, it was this perfect storm of timing where my husband was also available. And now I'm in there with my husband working and talking and and arguing, like, was that the Mulberry case, or the date case? <laughs> and it's like, it's it just brings a different dynamic, you know, to our conversations. And it's been so, like, you know, that's part of the feeling of being in love with that whole thing is like I get to now like I don't get to get out much but thank God like he can come in and um it's been really special
0: that is obviously so special because of that relaxed time in most relationships in life. It's the same thing, even if you're married to the person, you know, right. And either you have kids or you have a job or you've got something that's so distracting or you have social media or you've got all these things and you just had this beautiful place Mm -hmm. and you get to reconnect and you get to reconnect with the roots of why you're doing, well, you've always known why, but the hand feel of actually doing this yourself right? you know, reconnecting and, you know, Helping it grow. I know that you talk about the yogurt, like you're putting the yogurt to bed when mm-hmm. it you know rests overnight, and right. it's so it's so familiar. What it's like, it's your baby, and now you've got the man, the baby, right? <laughs> so. right.
2: And you know, and, and he gets room. to know me a little bit better. Cause right. Like I think this is process is like you can talk about it and talk about it, and it's a different thing to just do it with somebody and like have them feel it. Um, and so. Um, that feels very like intimate as well. So, and that that is the last question for speaking
0: broadly with Homa Taki. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and your time with me. I know that you're um, you know you're in New York for just a brief time, so I'm so happy to have grabbed you here. If people want to um, find you online, uh, where should they find you, and um, what's the best place to know where they can buy your incredible
2: yogurt and whey? Um, well, we're in 35 stores in Manhattan and Brooklyn. You can check us out on whitemustache.com, and you can find us on Instagram at whitemustacheyogurt or whitemustache.la.
0: Oh, it has its own handle. Very interesting. And this is Dana Cowan. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, David Tattashore, thank you for being the awesome engineer that you are, and Carlin for being the the great ghost that you are (laughs) waving from the other room and you know where to find me you can find me at fw scout on instagram or twitter reach out tell me if there's something um that excites you someone you'd like me to talk to questions i love answering them and i'll be back next week in the meantime have a great week